Yeah, so do me a favor, turn with me in your Bible to Mark chapter 3. Okay, we're going to continue in a series I've been doing called Tough Truths, and I hope you guys have enjoyed this. I have uh, had as much enjoyment putting these sermons together. They have challenged me uh, to dig a little deeper and think a little harder and, and prepare a little harder. So um, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. I hope you have. A, <clears throat> this was supposed to be our last week. I'm actually going to add one week next week, one more in the Tough Truths series, and then we're going to jump into a series on the Great Commission, okay? Uh, but so if you have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 3. Okay, if you don't have a Bible, it's probably one in a chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, do me a favor, take that one with you, all right? Uh, and then keep a finger in Mark chapter 3 and flip over to Matthew 12, because that's actually where we're going to end up uh, at the back end of this sermon, okay? And inside of your bulletin's a uh, handout. I would encourage you to follow along with me, and that's a great tool uh, to help you prepare for your small group. Uh, last week, I was not here, and Pastor Joey did a great job filling in and uh, did a great sermon on, you know, the truth about what about those who have never heard about Jesus, okay? And so I was traveling. I actually had a, a great uh, opportunity to visit one of the largest churches in America and just meet some of the key leaders and find out what they were doing and how they were doing it and, and uh, hang out with some of you guys remember the Scottish guy I let preach sometimes, Alistair Geddes. He's kind of one of the guys I call my pastor and got to hang out with him. And it was a great trip, man. I came back and I'm so excited about what God's stirring in my heart. And I'll share that at another time. But uh, man, it was just awesome. And so Tuesday, I was driving back from Florida and uh, and uh, I was driving from the center of the state. And, and, just, and I can drive. I love the drive. Actually, I, I always decide, I've decided that when I'm done preaching, my retirement gig is going to be driving a truck. Man, I just I love to do that. And so, 14 hours on Tuesday, you know, just driving. I really enjoyed it. But I had a chest cold. I'm still struggling with it this morning, so I'm hoping not to cough on you. So I, I got up early on Tuesday morning, and I left. Uh, I actually spent a day with my parents, who are snowbirds, and I left their house and drove for about four hours. And the first four hours of my trip, man, I was just coughing the whole time. I just couldn't stop, and it was kind of annoying me. So. I pulled over in Georgia, and I gassed up, and, and in the back seat of my car, and I, I got to give you the visual here to make the point. In the back seat of my car, I had some cough medicine. It wasn't in the box. It was Delsum, and if you don't know anything about co- this cough medicine, it's alcohol-free, it's non-drowsy, you know, it's a, it's a great, I figured out, I, so I stopped and bought some, knowing I'd been coughing a lot for my trip. So I go to, it's sitting in the back seat of my car on the passenger side. So I'm in Georgia. I go around the back side of my car. I bend into the back of my car like this. I've got my little brown bottle. I don't have a measuring cup and I'm swigging it, okay? <laughs> and it's at that moment that I, I'm assuming it's the welcoming committee in Georgia. This gentleman in his mid-50s comes up behind me. He says, excuse me, sir. And I turn around, and there's this guy that's probably in his mid-50s. He's got this really cool hair. He's got kind of salt and pepper hair dreadlocks going halfway down his back, right? He goes, sir, you shouldn't be drinking and driving. That's what he... Like, I didn't even know what to say to that, right? Like, I, at that moment, you know, saying, oh, it's cough medicine, looking like this, you know, probably not the best thing. So... I just said, okay, and I got in my car and drove away, you know. <laughs> okay, thank you for the tip. And uh, I don't know why I told you that. No, uh, so this morning, um, we're, I, I called Joey. I was like, is this, the, is this how you welcome people in Georgia, you know? Because he's from Georgia anyway. Uh, we're not going to talk about that kind of spirit this morning, okay? Uh, we're going to talk about a different spirit this morning, huh? And uh, this is a tough one this morning. It's a heavy one. 
Um, and, and we're going to talk about the idea or the question of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, maybe you're here and this is new to you. Like, I've never even heard that term. But I would imagine there's most of you in this room have heard that term. It's often called the unforgivable sin. Uh, and, and maybe you've heard people speak about this. And, and uh, last night it was kind of cool. I had several people come to me and be like, I've been in church my whole life. I've never heard a pastor address this topic. So that kind of encouraged me that it probably needs to be talked about a little bit. And, uh, and so it comes from a verse in, in Mark chapter 3. And, and, and so this verse is oftentimes uh, rattled some well-meaning Christians and, and, and they often ask themselves, man, have I committed this sin that Jesus is talking about? Because Jesus says this sin has eternal consequences. And it's the sin of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So in Mark chapter 3, Jesus says this. He says, I tell you the truth, uh, all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be, what? What's it say? Forgiven. That's heavy duty, isn't it? We'll never be forgiven. And this is the sin that has eternal consequences. Now, uh, this verse has been, I think, misapplied often. And so maybe you're here this morning with a misunderstanding. Maybe if you're asking the question, have I committed this sin? I mean, Jesus is pretty clear. Like, this has eternal consequences. Have I ever committed the sin that which I can never be forgiven? Um, so it's clear here this morning that Jesus says it's not just blasphemy, but rather it's blasphemy of what? The Holy Spirit, right? It's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So I think what we have to do, and as we had to do with all of these tough truths, is we have to put the right framework around the verse, okay? And I, I've been using the term systematic, right? And I think it's very important that we have a, an appropriate system around the Bible so that when we come across difficult verses like this, that we can properly and appropriately understand it and appropriately apply it. So that's my hope here this morning is to give you a framework around this verse, all right? So we have to start, since Jesus says it's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, I think we've got to step back and go, well, what is the work and the role of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So that's my starting point this morning. So uh, John chapter 16 is where Jesus does some teaching on the work and the role of the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, after Easter... Uh, I'm going to be going, we're going to actually spend probably three or four months in the gospel of John. And, and, uh, I know that might not sound exciting to you. I'm super excited about it. Okay. And, and, uh, and you know, one of the things I try to do every year is take us through a book of the Bible, uh, so that, you know, we're, we're engaging with the totality of scripture. And I think it's one of my charges, New Testament is to teach the church, the, the whole total of the scriptures. And so each year I try to take us through one book and uh, we're going to go through the gospel of John. So I'm not going to, I'm going to actually spend more time in John 16 when we get there. But I want you to see what Jesus talked about as far as the work and the role of the Holy Spirit. Look at this, John chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus said, but in fact, it's best for you that I go away. So he's teaching his disciples, hey, I'm going to be going away. I'm going to be sent to the Father, okay? Because if I don't, the advocate, which is the Holy Spirit, won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Okay, so what's the role of the Holy Spirit according to Jesus? He says there's three things. First of all, it's the conviction of sin. Secondly, it's the righteous demands of God the Father, his holy character. And third thing is he, can, he reminds us of that there's a coming judgment, that each of us one day will stand before the God of the universe and give an account of our lives, okay? 
Now, church, this is heavy stuff this morning. Like, we're, like we're, we're probing into the real stuff this morning of our souls. And so I want you to buckle up, okay? And, and, and it, it, uh, the rest of the sermon is really going to be probing at your heart. Because this is not surface stuff. This, I mean, we're talking about eternal consequences here, according to the scriptures. This is asking the question, do you give needful and prayerful attention to your soul? I mean, is this something that you reflect on from time to time and take seriously? Because the work of the Spirit is to convict of sin. If you've ever been sitting here on a, on a weekend service in, or another church and the pastor's talking about the character of God and his righteousness and you realize in your life you're missing the mark on that and the Bible defines that as sin as not pursuing and, not, and missing the holiness of God and there's a conviction going on inside of your heart that says, you know what, I shouldn't be doing that. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. If you ever heard the Bible taught and, and there has been a, a, an acute awareness of the holiness of God and that he's separate and he's righteous and his demands you can't meet. If that's ever gone on in your heart and life, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. If you've ever in the quietness of the night considered, you know what, there's going to come a day that I'm going to have a funeral service and I'm, my soul and my person is going to stand before the holy God of the universe. If that's ever gone through your mind and you've considered what that moment might be like, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, okay? That's what God's Spirit does. He awakens us to those things. And by the way, the Bible talks about two kinds of conviction of sin. Like if you ever, there's just two kinds of conviction. There's one conviction where we leave just feeling bad. I mean, if I'm talking about sin and you leave feeling bad, that's one kind of conviction of sin. I would call that shame, okay? But there's another kind of conviction of sin. There's a biblical Holy Spirit conviction of sin that requires us not only to feel shame and some guilt, which we should, but to turn from the shame, turn from the guilt, and turn from the sin, and pursue the things of God. That's a, the biblical word there is repentance. Repentance just means 180 degree turn. I was doing it my way. I understand now what God's demands are. And I'm going to turn and I'm going to pursue the things of God in God's way. Check this out in 2 Corinthians. Paul talks about this. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, <clears throat> verse 8. He says, I'm not sorry that I sent you a severe letter to you. Though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. Church, by the way, this is one of those sermons I feel like that. This is a weighty sermon. In fact, I told the worship team this morning, I, it kills me that i got to preach this one three times because it, it's heavy on my heart, okay? And Paul says, I, I'm sorry what I told you made you feel bad, but he says, now I'm glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It's the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have so that you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in what, church? Salvation. See, when you feel sorry, if you leave here feeling sorry, then you've missed the point of feeling sorry. Sorriness should lead us to repentance and going, you know what? There's no life in my sin. That leads to death. That's what I love about the song we just sang. I was pursuing my sin, but man, it, I didn't have any joy and I didn't have any hope. And all it led was to a life I really didn't want. That kind of sorry should lead us to repentance and results in pursuing Jesus, which results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks what, church? Repentance. 
results in spiritual death. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin, awakens us to the righteousness of God, and reminds us there's a day coming, and we're going to stand before the God of the universe. Second thing Jesus says about the role of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16, verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all what? Truth. So the Holy Spirit guides us into truth. And one of the things I did on my 14-hour drive is I just kind of channel surfed on the radio, right? And eventually I had to turn it off because I was just so discouraged at every channel that I went to, whether it was a DJ or a song or a talk show, just one after another, all they did was made light of truth. That's all they did. It was just one, it's just various truths. One truth after another, just making light of it. Who, you know, who gets to define morality? And over and over it went. And if you're sitting here this morning and God's beginning to convict you on some things that are true, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a signpost to truth. And by the way, there is objective, knowable truth that flows from the character of the God that we worship. Okay? And when that begins to awaken in your heart and soul, some of you are sitting here this morning and you're a long-term follower of Christ and you remember when you realized, wow, I've been living and believing a lie. And when that light bulb went on, you know what that was? It's the work of the Holy Spirit leading you into truth. Third thing Jesus talks about the role of the Holy Spirit is this. John chapter 16, verse 14. He will bring glory. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. Jesus says the Holy Spirit's purpose and role is to bring glory to Jesus Christ. I always say this. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is like a signpost to Christ. It, it points us to Jesus. This is why at Coastal we spend so much time lifting up the name of Jesus. And we use the word gospel a lot because the word gospel means good news. There's good news found in Jesus Christ. There is no hope in your sin, but there's good news found in Je- the purpose and work of Jesus Christ. Okay, And the Holy Spirit points us to Christ. And so it's our job here at Coastal to lift up Jesus Christ. And he says, the work of the Holy Spirit is to lead people to worship and honor me. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. So now let's back up for a minute. So what does it mean to reject the work of the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to maybe blaspheme the work of the Holy Spirit? Well, a couple things. It would be to learn that there is a lifestyle that misses the mark of the righteousness of God. The Bible calls this sin and have no conviction of that. It would be have an awareness that there is sin and have an awareness of the character of God, but leave with no conviction of sin, no guilt, no shame, and surely no desire to be repentant of our sin. That's to reject the work of the Holy Spirit. It would be to have an awareness of the righteous demands of God's holy character and not care. I want you to hear that again. It'd be to have an awareness of the holy and righteous demands of God's character and not care be to reject the work of the Holy Spirit. It would be to consider that one day you're going to stand before the God of the universe, this holy, awesome, separate God, sinless, righteous God, and think, I'm not worried about that at all. Because you'd be rejecting the idea that one day you're going to stand before God and have judgment. Be rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit. It would mean that there's an awareness of truth, but no desire to pursue truth because the Holy Spirit leads us into truth and be like, I don't need truth. Truth is unimportant to me. Let's reject the work of the Holy Spirit. 
It would be that there's a stirring in your heart to give honor and worship and praise to God's son, Jesus Christ. And to go, I don't need him. And I don't need that story. And I just reject it out of hand is to reject the work of the Holy Spirit. It's pretty intimidating stuff, isn't it? Okay, so that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now let's back up here and look at the story in which this verse is given to us, okay? Now, <clears throat> this is where we have to jump over to Matthew, okay? I gave you the short version in Mark, and, and one of the things you have to know about Mark, and I told you this a couple weeks ago, is that there's four Gospels, and four Gospels is not four different stories, but four perspectives of the life of Jesus Christ. And so each author gives us a little different angle or perspective of the life of Christ. And so Mark's perspective is, Mark is kind of the short Gospel. He's the short preacher, right? He's the preacher that gets you out in 30 minutes, okay? Sean, is the longer preacher, all right? And so, you know, and, and Mark kind of writes the way I talk. Everything's immediately. Everything's fast. He's moving on to the next thought. Da, 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 da. That's Mark. But Matthew takes some time to unpack it, and there's some reasons for that. They're each writing to different audiences, and that's another topic for another day, okay? So in the bigger story, what's going on here is that Jesus is doing ministry, and the crowds of people are beginning to get that he's the Son of God. But the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're rejecting rejecting the ministry of Christ. And they keep rejecting the miracles of Christ. And the more miracles he does, the more frustrated and angry they get at the person of Jesus and his ministry, okay? So that's the bigger picture. And so what happens is Jesus, first he... Um, he, he, him and his disciples eat on the Sabbath day, okay? And, and so, the, you know, the, the, the Pharisees are like, you can't, that's work, you can't do that. And Jesus is trying to help them understand, like, the Sabbath is a gift from God to man. It's not a bunch of rules. It's an opportunity for you to rest. It's an opportunity to let you know that the whole world doesn't depend on you working all the time. You get to rest and get to take opportunities like today and, and spend some time thinking about the really serious things of your soul and your life and your eternal life and where you're gonna spend that. That's the purpose of the Sabbath. It's not whether you do or don't do you, you're mixing it up. Then he goes on in Matthew chapter 12 to heal this guy. And at this point, he, he heals this person's withered hand, the Bible says. And, and when he heals this person's withered hand, you know what the Pharisees do with that? We got to kill this guy. They begin to plot to take the healer's life. Man, how many of you are here today? I don't know if this is a rhetorical question, but how many of you are here today with some physical pain and would love it if the God of the universe showed up and just immediately healed you? That happened. And what the religious people today go, go like, we got to get rid of this guy. That, could you more miss the point, right? Then the next scene is, so Jesus, after they plot to kill him, he realizes their intentions. He leaves the town that he's in, and he's out in the wilderness, but the sick people keep coming. And finally, there's a scene where there's a, uh, the Bible says a demon-possessed guy who, who can't speak, and, and, and Jesus heals this guy, and it get, the word gets back to the Pharisees, and what the Pharisees do is they say, oh, well, we know how he's healing. He's healing by the power of Satan. That's how he's able to do this kind of miracles, okay? And so Jesus says, Satan's evil, but he's not dumb. Okay, that's basically what he says. Satan's evil, but he's not done because he can't have a kingdom that's divided. Okay, so Matthew chapter 12, verse 26 says, and if Jesus says, if Satan's casting out Satan, he's divided and he's fighting against himself. His own kingdom will not survive. He says, what's wrong with you people? 
right? That's what he's saying. Satan's, Satan's bad, but he ain't stupid, all right? He knows his kingdom won't stand if it's divided. What could be a dumber idea than to see good and accredit it to Satan? Because that's what's going on here. Then Jesus says, I want to be clear here today. Something's going on that is superior to Satan. This, we're talking about a kingdom that's far bigger, far stronger than the kingdom of evil and Satan. He claims superiority over the kingdom of darkness. Look at Matthew chapter 12. He says, For who is powerful enough to enter the house of the strong man like Satan and plunder his goods? What are the goods of Satan? Brokenness and sin and shame and hurting and death and eternal death. That's what's a part of his kingdom. And Jesus says, somebody is stronger here that's going to plunder his kingdom. It's good news, isn't it? He says, only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. He's trying to say, that's what's in your midst, people. Reminds me of that video I showed a couple weeks ago. I wish I could show it again right now, right? The strong man, Jesus, comes in and rescues that girl. Remember that video? He says, someone stronger than evil is here. And by the way, if you're sitting here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're the plunder of Jesus. Isn't that cool? He bound up the strong guy. He got a hold of your heart by the work of the Holy Spirit, and he drug you into his kingdom and your plunder. Isn't that cool? And so in the context, these Pharisees are saying, oh, we just saw these miraculous signs, and it must be from Satan. And Jesus said, you're, you're missing the point. There's something going on far bigger than the kingdom of evil. And so Jesus is trying to teach them that his miraculous signs are his credentials of his divinity. All right? The miraculous signs that we see are the credentials of his divinity, that he is indeed from God sent on planet Earth. And what happens is, when Jesus does miracles, and you see this over and over again in the Gospels, when Jesus does miracles, there's one of two responses. You either humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and worship Jesus for who he is, or you grow hostile to the work and ministry of Jesus Christ. Check this out, Matthew chapter 12, in verse 23, after Jesus heals this guy, it says, the crowd was amazed and they asked, could it be that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah? But when the Pharisees heard about the miracle, they said, well, no wonder he casts out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. See, there's a division going on here. In fact, some of, there, there are some ministries in America that are built on miracles, all right? And, and so I think a lot of times we think, like, if Jesus, if God would just show up here this morning and, and perform a miracle, like, everyone in the room would believe. That is not the case, and that has never been the case. In fact, when Jesus showed up, the very Son of God, and did all kinds of miracles, it divided people as they saw them. As they saw things happening, they, a miracle doesn't automatically provoke belief. Let me ask you something. I already covered this. Let's see if you're listening. What is it that leads us to believe? Anybody? Not the, the Holy Spirit. 
It's not a miracle that leads us to believe. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that engages with our heart and is a signpost to Christ. It's not the miracle itself. So, you know, we, and by the way, I, I'm a big believer, and the reason we see so many miracles in the gospel is because God was doing something unique at that moment. He was introducing us to the Savior of the world. And so many times we want to see God kind of put on a magic show for us when he says, I've already given you my best in Jesus Christ, and now the Holy Spirit is working all over the earth to lead people to be worshipers of Jesus Christ. A changed heart is a miracle enough for me. Amen. Now, does God still do some great stuff? Of course he does. But man, we got to stop longing for the miracle and we got to start worshiping the greatest miracle ever set foot on planet Earth, the Son of God, okay? I'm going to skip these next two things just for time's sake. Um, but the next two verses, and so Noah, you're going to have to kind of keep up with me here, okay? The next two verses are just some stories where Jesus does miracles and it either invokes faith or invokes rejection. Does that make sense? So people are going to go, wow, you know, who? In fact, the one is where Jesus calms the storm and the disciples ask what? Remember when Jesus calmed the storm? They were in the boat. And what did the disciples ask after he said to the winds? He said, they said, ask a question. What did they say? Is it up there? They said, who is this man? Right? So you, you, a miracle either helps you uh, begin to ask the right questions or divides your already hardened heart. Okay, uh, the second one was the, that of um, the man with, uh, that was paralyzed. I talked about that one a couple weeks ago. And again, the crowds began to believe in Jesus. Okay, so in the context, let's go back to Matthew 12. In its context, the miracles that Jesus was doing were visible, obvious demonstrations of the working hand of God. And the working hand of God was being attributed to the work of Satan by the Pharisees. That's what's going on. Okay, so... We've zoomed out. I gave you a picture of the work of the Holy Spirit. Now I'm giving you the context of this verse. So it's in this context that Jesus says, So I tell you, every sin and blasphemy... I hope you guys are with me here. I've, I've skipped ahead. You with me? Good job, Noah. Okay. So, <clears throat> um, so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which will never be forgiven. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven either in this world or in the world to come. We're talking about serious business now, aren't we? So I begin to paint a picture here for you this morning, okay? What blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. Kind of started with showing you what the work of the Holy Spirit is and then giving the context of this verse. And before I bring this home, I, I want to talk to you briefly about what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not. Okay, let's talk about what it's not because there's been a lot of false ideas. I don't have little blanks here for you, so you can write these down on your own if you want to, okay? First of all, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not murder, Right? Or whatever sin you think is the worst possible sin on earth, which none of there's you know, God doesn't um, don't, God doesn't grade out sins as you know, one is worse than the other. All disobedience to him is horrifying and deserves a debt that we can't pay. But it's not murder. Moses and David were murderers. Did you know that? Moses at about forty years old murdered a man, and when Jesus showed up on the Mount of Transfiguration, Guess who was there with him? Moses, right? So we know that Moses must have been in heaven and visited with Jesus, encouraged Jesus in that moment in the Mount of Transfiguration, all right? Um, <clears throat> that's Matthew 17. So it's not murder. It's not some sexual sin, right, that we think, man, that's, that's a bad one. Um, it's not adultery, okay? King David 
was an adulterer, all right? And he wrote much of the Psalms that we look at. So it's not adultery. Uh, It's not denying Jesus Christ under pressure. So maybe you've been in a in a difficult spot, and you're maybe you're at school, or you're in the workplace, or you have to make some kind of moral decision in your workplace that you know you got to decide, man, am I going to hold to what I believe or not? And and you you in that moment chose wrong, and you denied Christ. And to this day, you've always wondered, man, is that the one? Is that the what Jesus is talking about? Is that the unforgivable sin? The answer to that is no, right? Anybody here think of a main biblical character that denied Jesus? Huh? Anybody? Peter, absolutely. Peter denied Jesus, and I'm pretty sure he's going to be in heaven. Every joke I've ever heard is Peter's at the pearly gate, so that must be, right? <laughs> I'm going to give you another one. Suicide, right? That one's been thrown out there a ton, like suicide. Suicide's the unforgivable sin. So let me just address that, okay? I don't read that anywhere in the Bible, church. There's nowhere in the Bible that talks about suicide being an unforgivable sin. In fact, I don't read anywhere in the Bible that our eternal life or eternal punishment has anything to do with any particular deed, action, or behavior. In fact, what I read is, is the only reason that I have any hope of overcoming the grave and having eternal life has everything to do with the righteousness of God being granted to me by grace through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And how grateful I am that heaven cannot be earned or lost based on my doing or not doing. Because there's been plenty of things I've done that I've regretted, and there's been plenty of things I've omitted that I wished I had done. Yes? The gospel message is not doing or not doing. How grateful I am that heaven is not earned or lost based on my works. Eternity is not earned or lost based on my works. Heaven is earned by the works of another. I want you to hear that. Heaven is earned by the works of another. It's the works of Jesus Christ and his righteousness that is credited to my spiritual bank account by the grace of God and is received by faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is cheer up. You're far worse than you can even imagine. And cheer up. God's grace is far deeper than you dare dream. It's the message of the gospel. So, talked about the role of the Holy Spirit, giving you the bigger picture of these verses, okay? Talking about the authenticating miracles of Jesus Christ and those being credited to Satan, okay? And I've covered what the sin is not. So let me be very clear about what this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is, okay? Here it is. It's a willful, determined hardness. I want you to get this. It's a willful, determined hardness to the work of the Holy Spirit leading you to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ or believe in the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It's remarkable spiritual blindness. It's a determined denial. It is wanton, wide-eyed rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's hearing the story of God's incredible hatred of sin. He hates sin so much that there has to be a punishment for sin. 
And he loves you so much that he was willing to pour out his wrath for sin on his own son, Jesus Christ. It's hearing that story and rejecting that story out of hand. I don't know if the author of Hebrews intended this to be a passage on the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, but as I was reading this, God, preparing this, God brought this passage to my mind, and it it made me think about this, and I, I get emotional now when I read it. The author of Hebrews says, Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there's no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There's only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses, they were put to death with, without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common. Do you hear what he's saying? He said in the Old Testament, someone could have the death penalty because of a heinous crime based on two or three witnesses, but God has sent the testimony of his own son. His own son set foot on earth, lived the life we couldn't live, died to death. You and I deserve, rose again from the grave. We're going to celebrate that on Easter Sunday, and we treat that as if that's some common story. How dare us? And some of you in here this morning are treating the miracle of the gospel that way. And it mortifies me for you. As if it were common and unholy. And have insulted and disdained what, church? The what? Holy Spirit. And what's the Holy Spirit do? He's a conduit, is what this verse says. Who brings God's mercy to us. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit has no conviction and no concern and no anxiety and no repentance. By the way, if you're here this morning and you've ever worried that maybe, just maybe, you've committed this unforgivable sin and the thought of that horrifies you, let me free you up. You probably haven't committed that sin, okay? If the thought of committing an unforgivable sin horrifies you, you haven't committed that sin because your heart is tender towards the judgment seat of God. You're tender towards his holy character. And you're understanding, I, don't, I won't deserve to stand there in the presence of God on my own apart from Christ. But if you're here this morning and you leave unmoved and unconcerned and undecided about the state of your soul and about truth and about the person and work of Jesus Christ and the blood he shed for the, so that you may have forgiveness of sin and God's saving grace and his free, free grace and free mercy given so graciously to us. Can I be honest with you? I am mortified for you this morning. I'm mortified that you would take such an important subject as your eternity so lightly. Now, if that's you this morning and maybe God's spirit is beginning to stir on you and he's beginning to break through some pride and some sin that you've been holding to. And, and as I've been talking, you realize that's me. I have been unconcerned. I've got some amazing news for you. We have got a God who is generous in forgiveness. 
generous. When you bend a knee to the lordship of Christ, you say, you know what? I'm done being proud and I'm done ignoring the truth. I'm done ignoring conviction. I'm done not being concerned about my standing before the God of the universe. I'm ready to believe the person and work of Jesus Christ. When you bow a knee to the lordship of Jesus, there's immediate forgiveness. It's incredible. It's incredible. I want to read you a passage of scripture written by a guy who committed adultery and then to cover up his sin, killed the woman's husband. All right? King David wrote most of the Psalms. This is what he said. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven and whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt and whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy upon me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sin to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. And I said to myself, I'll confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me. And all my guilt was gone. That's the generous character of our God. He's a forgiving God. I don't really have a great closing story this morning. I don't have a tearjerker. This morning, I want to offer you the weight of the thought of standing before the awesome holiness of God and asking yourself, can I stand there apart from the person and work of God's Son, Jesus Christ? I don't know really how to close this morning apart from asking you are, you, are you just casually looking at the cross of Christ and thinking that to be a small thing? I don't really know how else to close this morning than, than maybe just for a few moments to sit in silence and consider the awesome work of Christ and the incredible work of the Holy Spirit in this room right now. Sifting and prodding and dragging and convicting and humbling us all. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. I want you to take just a moment and Consider the awesome message of the gospel. If you're here this morning and you're a believer, take, take just a moment in your heart and mind and praise God for the gift of his son, his grace and his mercy and his generous forgiveness of sin. you're here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Christ, maybe, maybe, just maybe, as I was talking, you've been really considering the state of your soul. Let me ask you a couple questions. 
When will you stop being so proud? When will you repent? When will you acknowledge what you know to be true? When will you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and the awesome work of His Holy Spirit? Maybe this morning's the morning. Maybe this morning there's real heart business going on in your life this morning. So I just want to give you an opportunity to respond. I'm going to, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And I always say these prayers aren't simple. These are, these are real business with God. As His Spirit right now is convicting of sin, revealing of truth, and pointing you to His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the work of God's Spirit. And that's no small thing. And so I'm going to pray a simple prayer. It's just intended as a guidepost for you, help you get words around what's going on in your heart. And I would encourage you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, this morning, I acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge that my sin has put you on the cross. You paid a debt I, I could never repay. I acknowledge that the grave could not hold Jesus Christ. And he is risen. And that the work of his spirit right now is stirring in my heart. And as best I understand it, I humble myself. I turn from my sin. Trust the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, if you're here this morning and you prayed that in your heart with me, uh, let me encourage you. Uh, this, this is a real big moment for you. And I would encourage you to do one of two things, uh, or really, I guess, one of three things. Uh, We'll have a couple of our prayer team members up here after the service, and uh, I would encourage you to come talk to them and pray with them, kind of as a spiritual marker for you. Um, or you can grab me at the door. I know that gets a little more uncomfortable. That's why I encourage you to make use of the prayer team. Uh, the other thing you could do is on the side of your bulletin is a connect card. If you just kind of let me know, hey, Pastor, I prayed with you uh, this weekend, and I would love, or somebody on our staff would love to follow up with you and talk to you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. There's nothing to thrill us more than that. Uh, this is our offering time. If you're a guest with us this morning, uh, we're not after your money, okay? This is one of the ways we worship God at Coastal, so we don't want you to feel an obligation to give. Uh, but this is just one of the ways we worship the Lord. And uh, while that's happening, we're going to close by singing. I can't think of a, uh, a better way to close that, man, all we have is Jesus Christ, right? He's our hope. He's who we lift up at Coastal Community Church. And uh, so with that, I will turn it over to Joey. Thank you.